Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. Once again, a beautiful Wednesday, a little bit of rain about, and uh, we could certainly do with that. Um, but otherwise, now coming as we are towards the end of January, we're hitting the middle of the month of Shvat, and that carries with it a tremendous amount of significance, importance, and, of course, a lot for us to learn and to think about on this special date. It is today the 14th of Shvat. The 14th of Shvat is uh, known, actually, as the anniversary of the passing of Rabbi Yaakov Yeshua Falk Katz. No relation, I don't think, but probably we're all related at some stage, somewhere, somehow. He lived from about 1680 to 1755. He was the author of the Talmudic work known as the Panei Yehoshua. Remember that um, most great uh, sages of old were named after the work that they did. So his Talmudic work was known as the Panei Yehoshua, and he then became known as the Panei Yehoshua. His name, Rabbi Yaakov Yehoshua Falk Katz, 1680 to 1755, he served as the rabbi of Lvov, otherwise known as Lemberg, in 1718. He was in Berlin in 1730 and Metz in 1734 and in Frankfurt in 1740. But what I'd really like to talk to you about today is the fact that we are now coming to a full moon. And when we come to a full moon, we know that very often that spells great and good and positive tidings for the Jewish people everywhere and for the world per se. And uh, although it's a little cloudy outside, but in tonight's sky, when the moon is full, it will mean that we have reached the 15th day in the month of Shvat. Now, the 15th day in the month of Shvat is often referred to as Tubishvat. Do you know why? Why is it called Tubishvat? What does Tubishvat actually mean? Well, Tubishvat actually means the 15th of Shvat. Now, we all know that Hebrew letters have a numerical, a number value, as well as a sound value, as well as, as, well as a graphic or a visual value. And this uh, number value that they have, the numerical value that they have, is of great significance and importance in Torah study, as well as in dates and times and things like Tubishvat, the 15th of Shvat, because, in fact, we're looking at two Hebrew letters that make up the word Tu, and the two Hebrew letters are Tet, and Vav. Tet and Vav. Those two letters. And the Tet and Vav are a numerical value of 9 and 6. And yeah, you worked it out. 9 plus 6 is 15. But why then do we Dafka refer to this as Tubishvat? Although many are very strict to actually call it Hamisha Asar Bishvat, the 15th of Shvat, rather than Tubishvat, kind of not uh, deriding it in any way or talking it down in any way, but Tubishvat um, got its name from the unusual combination of 9 plus 6. And why is it unusual? Well, if we were to think about the way that the Hebrew numbering of uh, letters, the numerology, the number values of the letters goes, we know that Aleph is 1, Bet is 2, Gimel 3, and so on, until we get to Tet, which is 9, and then we go to Yud. 
And from Yud, which is 10, we then have Yud Aleph, which is 11, Yud Bet, which is 12, Yud Gimel, which is 13, Yud Dalet, which is 14, which is today, Yud Dalet Shvat, the 10 plus 4, which is the 14th of the month of Shvat. So why tomorrow does it change to be 2 Bishvat, 9 plus 6? Well, when we have a Yud standing next to the letter Hey, or a Yud standing next to the letter Vav, which would be 16, both of those are parts of God's holy names that we're not allowed to pronounce and that we don't say and we don't take God's name in vain. And we certainly wouldn't want to relegate um, God's name to being a number on the bottom of a page or the top of a page or even the name for a date. God's name is sacred. God's name is holy. It is something of Kedusha. It is something of holiness. And because of that, we rather go to 9 plus 6 or for the day after 9 plus 7, Ted Zion, to make it into 16 and 17. That's the way that Hebrew numbers work. And in no book and in no uh, numbering form of Hebrew would you ever find that people use the Yud and the He or the Yud and the Vav because lesson one, Judaism 101, uh, basic rule, basic principle from the Ten Commandments tells us we should not take God's name in vain. We don't want to belittle God's name in any way. We don't want to take it in vain. We don't want to call it by uh, or, or use it to call something else. And therefore, we default. We go to 9 plus 6 and 9 plus 7 for the 15th and the 16th so that we're not taking God's name in vain. But within that, there's probably a very, very deep and profound and important message. And that is that God's eternal essence is actually embedded, maybe, or concealed in these days, perhaps much more than at any other time. Because we're accentuating, we're thinking about the name that we are using to mask, to cover, to hide, in a way, God's name, and to screen it, to make sure that we are showing the appropriate amount of holiness and respect for God's name and for godliness. And therefore, the recognition of everything that we're going to do on this day of Tu Bishvat carries with it the powerful and important message of the fact that it is actually God who is within everything, behind everything. Although sometimes we don't see it, we see two, but we actually know that two is just a representative of God's holy name, of the Yud and the second letter of the Hay that come together to form God's holy name on every 15th of the month, which is significant because that's the time that the moon is full. That's the time that there is the greatest amount of light in the darkness. And that is the time that we think about all the wonderful things that we're going to be discussing for this year, Tu Bishvat, for Tu Bishvat, for the 15th of Shvat, Chamisha Osir Bishvat, which is called Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot. It is called the Rosh Hashanah for the trees, the new year for the trees. And we're going to get into the customs of the day. We're going to talk about those. We're also going to be speaking a little bit about some of the mystical or the spiritual meanings behind the fruits with which this day is blessed and that we try to eat on Tu Bishvat, on Chamisha Asa Bishvat. Now, one of the biggest and most life-threatening mysteries is how the virus causes silent hypoxia. 
a condition when oxygen levels in the body are abnormally low. Through the administration of concentrated oxygen whilst in a pressurized or called hyperbaric environment, oxygenate assists in reverting this and creating hyperoxia, a state in which oxygen supply is uh, in which oxygen supply is excessive. Fast track your recovery from long term COVID effects. And the contact number for this is 86 Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Welcome back. Great to be with you. Yes, it's Rabbi Michael Katz and we're together talking about Judaism 101.9, thinking about all the things simple and not so simple perhaps that have to do with Judaism, things that you need to know, things perhaps that you have forgotten, things that perhaps you need a little reminder about and perhaps also to share some interesting angles on some of the practices and customs of Judaism. We're talking about which is tonight and tomorrow. Now, how do we celebrate this Chag? How do we celebrate this festival? Well, in fact, I'm going to share with you seven customs that pertain to uh, Bishvat. It is not a Chag. It's not a holiday on which we may not drive, we may not engage in business, we may not handle money. It's not one of those. It is, in fact, known as a weekday Rosh Hashanah. It is a, a Rosh Hashanah that has a very uh, mundane kind of an attitude, but perhaps it's got to do with where it actually comes from, which we'll talk about in a few minutes' time. Let's first think about the customs. What is customary to do on Tubishvat? The majority of people out there will probably say plant trees. And that's probably because um, in Israel, it became a, a very, very important facet of the 15th of Shvat um, in modern Israel that trees were planted in order to uh, provide the foliage and uh, the oxygen levels and all sorts of uh, great and wonderful things that uh, trees have been known to do um, in an otherwise pretty barren land, a land that is pretty desert-like in Israel where they needed all of this. And this was all done for uh, or married to or brought together on the 15th of Shvat on this new year for the trees. But in fact, from a Torah point of view, it has very little to do with the actual planting of trees. And on the contrary, it would not have to do with pine trees or oak trees or any of the trees uh, that very often are planted. But in fact, the real emphasis is on fruit trees. So custom number one to do with the 15th of Shvat, with Hamisha Sabishvat or the Tubishvat, is the custom to increase in the amount of fruit that is eaten in order really specifically to praise God who created all of these species of fruits. So the idea really is not just to uh, chomp away at a uh, fruit that you've picked up, but rather to buy the fruit or get the fruit or have the fruit, eat it, but remember to make the bracha, remember to make the blessing, which is, We praise God who creates the fruit of the tree. So the idea of not only eating the fruit, but more importantly, praising God for the creation of the fruit, that is the major custom of the 15th of Shvat, of Tubishvat. So if you've done nothing else, but you do get some fruit, 
and you eat that fruit and you praise God's name for the creation of that fruit, done that custom and kept Tubishvat in a, a very, very important fashion. Secondly, it is also customary to try and emphasize the fruits, the special fruits for which the land of Israel was praised, and they are grapes, olives, dates, figs, and pomegranates. And if we uh, eat enough of these fruits, we've got to remember that we need to make a special blessing afterwards, al for al We remember to praise God for the trees and for the fruit of the trees. Thirdly, many people have a custom of making a bracha shehechayanu. In other words, eating a fruit that you haven't yet eaten this season. So there are many seasonal fruits. If you haven't eaten it this season, you haven't had it for a few months, one would make a bracha shehechayanu, the bracha of God having allowed us, sustained us, and kept us. To reach this moment, we, we can eat the new fruit. And of course, it's got a lot to do with new fruits, this uh, festival, this Chag of Tubishvat of Chamisha Tubishvat. There was also the custom of eating carob on this day. Um, carob, and here there was a question about whether one could make the bracha shechianu when eating carob because it's actually inedible when it is fresh and you have to wait until it hardens before you actually eat from it. And therefore, most would not say a shechianu on this fruit, but to eat carob on this day. And there's another custom that many have is to eat part of the etrog either in the form of a preserve or sugar slices, etc. And here too, the bracha shechianu, interestingly enough, would not be said because if it's the leftover etrog that you didn't use at, uh, or that you used at Sukkot, time, you've already made a bracha shechianu on that particular etrog, albeit that you didn't eat from it, uh, but there was something new about it at Sukkot rather than now. We'll come back to the link with Sukkot a little bit later on in the program as well. Um, in the sixth custom, it was the custom of the famed Kabbalist, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, who was known as the Arizal, to actually eat 15 different varieties of fruits on the 15th of Shvat. So 15th of Shvat, you get it, 15 varieties. That was what he did in order to keep to the custom of, uh, from a mystical point of view, of marrying the number 15, the 15 different types of fruit, each one, I guess, touching as it does a certain dimension, a certain aspect of the holiness of the land of Israel and the ability to praise God for these uh, numerous different kinds of fruit that the land is praised with. Finally, the prayer of Tachanun is omitted from Shachrit and Mincha, morning and afternoon, as well as Mincha in the afternoon before Tu Bishvat. So this afternoon, when you daven Mincha, when you pray your Mincha prayer, we do not say Tachanun, Excuse me, Tachanun is the penitential prayers that are said for uh, um, our own sins that we've committed, asking God for forgiveness and so on. Um, and they are uh, definitely not said on very festive dates, on very special times and times of community celebration and so on. Um, how can I focus on those things as well as the fact that we know that at the time when 
Hashem, so to speak, is smiling upon us. There is no need to ask for those uh, forgivenesses and those apologies. And one of those dates is Tu Bishvat, Bishvat, tonight and tomorrow. And therefore, the Tachanun, the penitential prayers, are omitted from our davening. So prayers will be just a little bit shorter, but perhaps it gives you a little bit more time to eat the fruits, to make the brachas, to thank God for uh, giving us the produce that he has given us to enjoy. Now, when we think about the reason why the 15th of Shvat is the new year for the trees, it is a fascinating and very important lesson in the way that Torah works and in the way that our systems work and the logic that went into um, the determining of these very, very special dates. We've got to remember that there is actually a difference of opinion in the Talmud as to whether the new year for the trees, everybody agrees there's got to be a new year for the trees, which we'll come to in a moment, but and some say that the new year for the trees should have been on the 1st of Shvat, and some say that the new year for the trees should be the 15th of Shvat. It was an argument between um, the famous Hillel and Shammai. Shammai said 1st, Hillel said 15th. Now, what were they actually thinking about? What were we actually talking about, and why is this month of Shvat the time for uh, this new year? And why was it determined to be on the 15th of Shvat in the first place? Well, let's try and follow the logic in a pretty simple fashion. There was something called Meiser Sheni, the second tithe that had to be brought in temple times in Jerusalem. This second tithe um, was a fascinating experience, fascinating thing, because when the Holy Temple stood in Jerusalem, um, in the cycle of the agricultural cycle of the seven years, the Shemitah year cycle, on years one, two, four, and five of the cycle, farmers were required to separate a tenth of their produce and eat it in Jerusalem. This was called Meiser Sheni, the second tithe, because it's in addition to the 2% which had to be given to the Kohen and the 10% which was given to the Levite. This is in addition. On the third and the sixth years of the cycle, so remember I said one, two, four, and five, the farmers ate this tithe themselves in Jerusalem. The third and the sixth years, instead of the owners eating the Maiser Sheni in Jerusalem, they gave the second tithe to the poor, who were permitted to consume it wherever they wished. So there was this interesting Maiser Sheni second tithe system set up, which traversed the uh, six years in the seven-year cycle, remember, in the seventh year, there was no tithing um, of this uh, nature because there was no produce that was harvested, and therefore um, it didn't really apply. But here we're talking about in the six years of this seven-year cycle. One, two, four, and five, the farmers themselves ate this tenth, this tithe. Um, this was called Maiser Sheni. And in the third and sixth years, they gave it to the poor. Now, it was therefore of great importance for our sages to determine when the new year started for the produce. In other words, our rabbis had to establish that a fruit which blossomed before the 15th of Shvat is the produce of the, of the previous year. If it blossomed afterwards, it was called the produce of the new year. Now, why was this? This is because they determined that it actually took four months for the, from the process of watering a tree, for that water to actually come out in the fruit, that was a process of four months. And now we can uh, cast our minds back to the difference between Hillel and Shammai, or Shammai and Hillel, where we're thinking about 
when did we get the blessing of water for this year? Well, all the blessings actually came for this year on Rosh Hashanah. Hopefully, there'll be a lot more great and wondrous blessings in store for us from this year, Rosh Hashanah, for the year ahead. Um, so far, we've still been stuck in this COVID kind of pandemic, um, and we uh, really would love to get out of that. But when we had our allotment of how much we would earn, what we would make, what our lives would be like, etc., it was all determined on Rosh Hashanah, which was the first day of Tishrei. Now, that is the date on which potentially all the blessings all the produce and everything for the entire year is actually allotted by Shamayim, is allotted in heaven, allotted by God. However, the real blessing of water actually comes about and is given to the world. Really, it's delayed until Sukkot. On the first day of Sukkot is when water, you know, we have the whole ceremony of the water libation and so on that takes place on Sukkot. And this is then on the 15th, actually, of Tishrei. And bingo, if you go four months after the 15th of Tishrei, you get to the 15th of Shvat. And thus, scientifically, it was determined that the produce, if we were to take a look at a fruit on a tree today in the land of Israel, we could safely say that it is from last year's blessing. It comes from last year's, in inverted commas, watering. If we were to take a look at a fruit on the tree from uh, tomorrow onwards, it is definitely from this year's blessing. And that was used as the determining factor in how these tithes had to be calculated. When was the new year? From when did they bring it? And from when was it actually determined that it was this year's produce? It was set at the 15th of Shrat being the actual date on which the waters began to be determined in Shamayim, be determined in heaven as the blessing for this year, that blessing comes out on the 15th of Shvat. So it's a day, really, of the realization of blessings, the realization of how God makes this incredible, fantastic world that he has given us operate and to really, really pay due respect through the fruit of recognition of God's power and how God is in everything. Be back with you right after this. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Now we all know that the Torah tells us that man is a tree of the field. Man is compared to the tree in the field. Usually we take this to mean in a very literal sense, of course, that just as a tree has roots, man needs roots. Just as a tree needs to be nourished and nurtured, man needs to be nourished and nurtured. Just as a tree grows up and is able to provide either shade or it's able to provide fruit and so on, so too man does likewise. So the nurturing and the flourishing and the production of fruit and so on are all great and wonderful analogies for exactly how we ourselves as human beings are meant to nurture, nourish, grow, and then, so to speak, spread our wings and uh, provide the nourishment and nurture for the next generation and for others and for people around us, sharing that shade and sharing that fruit and sharing that um, the seeds that we then are uh, going to plant by way of 
good missions and good and wonderful things that we're going to do in our lives in this world, all analogous, of course, to man being like the tree. However, when we take a look at it a little bit deeper, our sages tell us that originally all trees bore fruit, and this will also be the case, of course, when Mashiach comes, that all trees will bear fruit, and therefore a fruitless tree was somehow a symptom of an imperfect world, for the ultimate function of a tree was really always to produce fruit. So the system that Hashem set up in the creation of the world, it seems originally, was that every tree would bear fruit. Some lie barren, some are unable to, and it's kind of one of the symbols of the imperfection that exists within this world. So we need to strive a little bit more for perfection within ourselves if we're to be regarded as analogous or as comparative or compared to the uh, tree. And here we think about the fruit with which the land of Israel was blessed. We're told it was a land of wheat, barley, grapes, figs, and pomegranates, a land of oil-yielding olives, and uh, honey that came from the dates. So we have these different species, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, and pomegranates, olives, and dates. And when we think about all of these, they are in a very, very important mystical sense, completely and absolutely in tune with our lives and with things that we should try and integrate with into our lives as we go through um, those very lives themselves. When we think about wheat and barley, well, our Kabbalistic masters tell us that we have two souls. One is an animal soul, one is a godly soul. And when we think about the animal soul and the godly soul, the uh, animal soul is symbolic of <clears throat> animal food, which is barley. Wheat is much more human. The human diet is kind of typical of, um, uh, of, of, of being a human. And therefore, we have this wheat and barley combining or uh, um, sort of depicting uh, the two souls which are striving for dominance within our lives and for our uh, very, very selves each and every day of our lives. We then have the concept of excitement. You get passionate about certain things. We get excited. We get joyous. We have happiness. If we think about the mainstay of joy, of happiness, it is wine. Yes, of course, uh, people feel very aggrieved at the fact that there is a lockdown on uh, alcohol that is banned at the moment. And uh, how does it affect Jews? Well, um, wine for Shabbos and, of course, coming up, wine for Purim and wine for Pesach are going to be a certain uh, – or perhaps there are certain limitations where by then that uh, all of these things are long forgotten. But the grape is a defining characteristic of joy in, that needs to be the very theme that uh, we live our lives by, and therefore the grape carries this sim- symbolism of joy. When we think about the fig, we're thinking about involvement. The fig, the fourth, fourth kind of the, uh, the fourth of the seven kinds, is also known as the fruit that Adam and Eve ate from. The fig that they ate from, according to many uh, opinions, um, and it then brought about an intimate involvement. It was the fruit of knowledge. They gained knowledge in this world. They were intimately involved, albeit it was an involvement in the wrong direction, um, or so it would seem. This is the involvement that we are meant to have, typified by the fig. Our actions are typified by the pomegranate, the pomegranate being um, having 613 seeds, each one of them self-contained, but all coupling together, 
to form this great massive whole, the fruit that we call pomegranate. We'll continue with this right after this short break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So welcome back. Yes, as we head towards the end of our time together for today, uh, we are continuing with our theme of the various fruits with which Israel is blessed and how they connote something very, very deep and important in our daily lives. And we were up to speaking about the next one, which is the olive. The olive is um, a typical example, or it's kind of used as a metaphor for struggle. You know, in this country, of course, everybody knows what the word struggle means. But the concept of struggle is we actually struggle to live. And then we struggle to uh, find ourselves as uh, as kids. And then we struggle to find a life's partner. And then perhaps we have a struggle to find, um, to eke out a living. And then today, of course, everybody is struggling. And we struggle with all sorts of things. The concept of struggle and the, and the, the marriage or the metaphor of the olive is the idea that the olive... Um, also is, uh, it's got to be kind of battered and smashed and it struggles to produce the wonderful oil that it produces, never mind the wonderful fruit that it does. I don't know if anybody has ever uh, pickled or uh, made their own olives. It is a long, long process. They're not ready to eat just off the tree. There is a certain struggle and a certain refine, refining process that they have to go through. And this is typified by the olive. But eventually we find Perfection. We reach or we need to strive for a level of perfection. And this is achieved by finding a balance and harmony in the various components of our lives. And as uh, the uh, psalm says, and take a look in Tehillim 92, it says that Tzadik, the perfectly righteous person, shall bloom as a date palm. The Zohar explains that there's a certain species of date palm that bears fruit only after 70 years. The human character is comprised of seven basic attributes, each consisting of ten subcategories. So, the tzaddik's blooming after 70 years is this idea of the, the, the fruit of absolute tranquility, the product of a soul whose very aspect and nuance of character has been refined and brought into harmony with oneself, one's fellow, and one's God. So, attaining that level of the a date is really the way that we need to all look at our lives. I'd like to conclude on one final word. It's called Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot. It is called the New Year for the Trees. Have you ever thought about or have you ever seen that the word Ilan, which means a tree, has a numerical value of 91? And believe it or not, the numerical value of Hashem's double name, when we take the word Aleph Dalet and then Nun Yud, which spells God's name that we do say, and then we take the other one that we don't, the Yud coupled with the Hay and the Vav coupled with the Hay, as we have in uh, Tu Bishvat and Taz Bishvat, we think about those names, those two names together. The Lord God has a numerical value of 91. This emphasizes the fact that the trees of the field are not the work of man, but they are that of Almighty God. Remember, God is behind Everything. God is in front of everything. God is within everything. What better way to symbolize it all and to practice it all and to think about it all than 
by the fruits that we eat and the praise that we give Hashem for providing them to us. And please, God, we will do that tonight and tomorrow. For two bishvat, for chamisha also bishvat. I want to wish you a great chag, a chag sameach for chamisha also bishvat. A good yomtev, um, as we say in the Yiddish terminology. And we want to wish you all a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.